Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jake Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bow. And we're kicking off the new year with Horror Bites, our monthly indie horror segment in which Neil and I highlight several bite-sized slices of horror that can typically be completed in less than an hour. While some of the titles we'll be discussing are free, we believe it's important to support the developers and their hard work, so if you can, please support them through their Itch.io, Steam, or Patreon pages. But enough housekeeping. Neil, a happy and horrifying 2023 to you, my friend. How was your holiday? Yes, happy new year. It's, um, it was alright. I, I felt suitably fat and stuffed and, and buzzed on alcohol. It was fine. Yeah, I, I, the house did just look like an off license, I think, by the end of the, uh, <laughs> the, the first week going into the new year and thinking, yep, yeah, you know what? We'll, we'll, uh, we'll go for one final hurrah of all this stuff. And it was, uh, magical. Lots of that, lots of games to play. And yeah, I, I managed to beat Vampire Survivors so over the, yeah, as much as you can beat that game. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it was a nice little, um, achievement to have in two weeks of doing very little. So. <laughs> That's a great achievement, you? getting to say that you uh, completed that game, because that's one of those games that, you know, as much time as I've spent with it, I still haven't completed it. And just the idea of being able to make it to that end point seems like such a uh, such a fantasy. But at the same time, you know, that coming out for mobile gave me lots to do while I was, you know, traveling, visiting family, waiting for planes, having flights canceled. Um, so, yeah, it was just like a lot of playing games that I had been playing already on my phone a lot, yeah. uh, which somehow is... A nice break, I guess, from just, you know, playing games in front of the TV or on my computer constantly, uh, just kind of getting to pick up and play stuff for a little bit at a time was, uh, I don't know, relaxing, I suppose, uh, which is exactly as you said, the holidays are all about. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it never felt like I was far from reviewing something or, or you know, even beyond Horror Bites. So it, the, the break wasn't really there in that sense, but yeah, there was plenty of other things to do. So it was all good. Very excited to kickstart the year with Horror Bites, something that, uh, you know, you and I both have a tremendous amount of fun doing and just kind of discovering these very small slices of horror that, you know, not everybody is talking about, not to say that we're breaking uh, breaking news here or anything for all of the titles we're going to be discussing. But at no. the same time, it's always great to kind of just stumble onto the Itch.io page, especially after a holiday, you know, when people mm. have uh, been having time off, perhaps to indulge in uh, some of these game ideas that they don't have time to uh, work on during the regular course of the year, the hustle and bustle and stuff. So I'm excited to kind of dive into uh, what we've found this month for one another. And I think it's another varied month at that in terms of mm. uh, the types of horror experiences. Um, and, you know, usually we're both picking four titles apiece, bringing them to the table to share. This month we're both bringing three, but then an additional one pick we are kind of sharing because we had this opportunity to check out the latest from developer Tomas Esconguergai. And excuse me if I uh, butchered your name, I apologize profusely. But this was the developer behind The Night of the Scissors, which you and mm. I chatted about at length last year. Um, and we both really, really enjoyed. So we are going to kickstart the year with Cannibal Abduction, which is going to be released on January 13th. And we should note, the developer was nice enough to give us an early copy of the game for us to chat about for the podcast. But in Cannibal Abduction is another PSX survival horror game that puts the player in the terrified shoes of Henry, who, after borrowing his father's car, Henry's getaway weekend is interrupted by a sudden breakdown, stranding him in the middle of nowhere. 
but as luck would have it, a good Samaritan arrives and gives him a lift to his country house, where in exchange for labor, he'll fix his car in a jiffy. But as these things tend to go, this is too good to be true, and Henry must navigate the farmhouse while avoiding a menacing killer that is hunting him. So, as I said, we were both fans of The Night of the Scissors, which was a highlight of 2022 for us. Um, I'm curious, how did you find this sophomore title, Cannibal Abduction? Yeah, I mean, out the gate, it, you know, it's saying something compared to what Night of the Scissors was. That you know, it, it feels like a very confident follow-up. You know, you, you can see the strides have been made from game to game. I mean, that opening, even the way it's shot, you know, yeah. is really well done. You know, I, I was very impressed with the, the camera work there, and um, you know, the very Texas Chainsaw Massacre sort of uh, hue to everything. You know, with that sickly yellows and stuff like that and the sun bleachness of it all. It, it really worked as a nice scene setter and gets on with it very quickly. You know, it's like very short setup. You know, very familiar sort of play again, you know, survival horror, you know, puzzles, nothing too strenuous, nothing too extravagant, but still, you know, engaging, challenging where they need to be. And yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, unfortunately, playing is going to be something like Resident Evil 7, because that in itself also copies a lot of those same influence points. So, you know, but, you know, there are parts of the house that look alike with that game, which isn't the first game to do that. And, you know, in turn, Resident Evil 7, you know, was inspired by the houses of certain films. So it's un- not unsurprising then that we have that in that game. So never a problem. It's just nice to see it being done on this sort of, you know, demix sort of scale, I suppose, where you, you get to see it and yet you see everything familiar with the, uh, the setup and the, the scuzziness. And it's really detailed and interesting sort of house to go around. The camera angles are nicely done all throughout. And yeah, it, there's some little tweaks to the survival horror formula that work quite well. You collect... VHS tapes to basically save your progress, but they are limited, like ink ribbons were in, in Resident Evil sort of thing. Um, you know, you have a scarce inventory space. And yeah, it, it really does just, you know, put you on edge, makes it all about the survival, you know, not just in terms of like how much health you have or what, or, or what things you have in your pockets, but in the moment to moment, idea of like well i need to get here i need to get the how am i going to get out of here not i need to get in this place it's more of i need to get out the whole thing of it flips that idea of like you're trying to unlock the next you know step down into hell sort of thing it's more like i'm trying to get out of it i'm in the bottom rung and i need to get all the way out and uh yeah i think it's a really smartly done you know a little bit of survival horror two hours long i think so it's um punchy in a nice way yeah, I think the way that you described it as being a very confident sophomore effort from a developer, uh, that comes across in the opening moments. And, you know, mm. it's clear that Tomas has learned a great deal from the time developing the Night of the Scissors and into this, you know, it beginning a little quieter, right? In that you're going into it, of course, <laughs> the title gives away kind of what the big, <laughs> uh, the big horror hook of the game is going to be. But I think that the way in which the game sets up just like a movie would, right? And you kind of have this very cinematic 
interaction between, you know, jumping between locations, the camera angle changing. It doesn't feel like it has the same restrictions as some of maybe I guess I would even go as far to say like with Night of the Scissors, right? There weren't cutscenes in that. Um, there wasn't a big setup outside of that very limited interaction outside of the post office. And in this, that opening narration section goes for longer period of time, but also, you know, it's changing around with the cameras inside the car while it's moving and then it's outside and you're capturing all these different angles to a degree that it does feel more cinematic in a way that I definitely appreciate. And it makes the space feel a little more lived in and a little more personable also just in the way that, you know, you get a better idea of your surroundings. Again, Night of the Scissors, it was kind of, yes, it's a post office, but it is just a dark building um, that, you know, you're being told as a post office and you're finding these flyers and things like that. But to some, it might just be like another dark abandoned building. Whereas with this, and, you know, the Resident Evil 7 comparison is a great point because overall, this feels like a lived in space. It feels like a space that you can identify a little bit better based on the layout. The layout is a little more complex too, just in terms of it actually feeling like a house that you've probably been Mm -hmm. in if you've been to like these country homes and whatnot. Um, In terms of that more cinematic nature, I think that comes across, as you said, in those dynamic camera angles for sections of the house. And I found that, you know, once you get spotted by the killer and they start to pursue you, the camera angles, you know, while there is going to be this VHS static that, you know, comes on screen more that kind of looks like glitches when you're being chased or when you're spotted, that kind of adds a little more uh, tension to what's happening or a little more uh, hecticness, I'll say. But at the same time, the layout of the house I found it doesn't, I guess the camera angles capture the best perspective that you could have in a given space when you're Mm -hmm. fleeing, right? Because at the same time, you have that sort of interference a little bit by the static, but really it never becomes an issue in terms of navigating because you get a quick sense of the house and the layout um, and whatnot when you're, you know, fleeing for your life. (laughs) I will say there's also just little animation things that, again, that shows growth in terms of the developer's abilities, you know, using a key, which is like a common key to unlock little cubbies. You get a little animation with that. When you have the hammer and you find boarded up doors, you know, pulling out each of the nails and removing the two by fours and whatnot, mm-hmm. not earth shattering stuff, but lots of little additions to their sort of skill set as a developer that over time build up into a sophomore effort that um, it just, it feels like somebody that really is pushing the boundaries of their own abilities, perhaps. Um, And, you know, the experience, I think, is better off for it. Uh, I'll also say, you know, a little more gruesome than the last game in some ways, um, which is great. (laughs) And uh, I think what I really liked about the Night of the Scissors with its antagonist was, again, you had that snipping sound, right? That Mm. would be following you. That is not as much of a feature, but there is this very creepy track that plays uh, when the killer's either near or when they're pursuing you. And that being paired with the, again, the film grain from the, or the VHS static uh, that takes over the screen when you're being pursued is uh, really nerve inducing, right? It really is, uh, <laughs> makes getting chased very uh, creepy and whatnot, as it should be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I think it's good that, you know, while you are allowed to run, you know, it is limited. It's, you know, you have a stamina bar effectively, and it means you have to just plan things accordingly, which is, interesting to do when you think in, in those situations you hear the music or you see someone that you first thought is leg it leg it leg it but you can't just keep running you need to think of where you're going to go what you're going to do so you always have to be thinking of where 
things are in correlation to where you are, you know, in case you have to make a quick getaway. And, and that's a really smart use of that, and you know, not just letting you just fling yourself about the house and <laughs> stuff like that. Because, you know, you've got to get away and find somewhere to hide. And it's, uh, it's, it's good that it does that. And I think also the, you know, the flashlight being a thing that, you know, got to turn it on and off to make sure you're not seen and things like that as well. So again, like I said, little touches that just add to a nice sort of take on survival horror. Yeah. And that sprint mechanic in, you know, working in tandem with the hide mechanic, right. And Mm -hmm. there's only, I think two or three spots in the game that you can hide, but really, you know, saving up a certain amount of sprint. So that way, you know, use it a little bit to get ahead of them a good amount and then walking and then just making sure that you can have extra sprint left so you could, you know, make it to that finish line of hiding yeah. in that cupboard before you get spotted. Um, also, like you said, the limited inventory, um, I thought was, you know, a great uh, nod to, of course, a uh, survival horror classic that we all know and love. But at the same time, there's it just makes the players think a little bit more about what they're doing, yeah. um, which I think makes the entire experience uh, you know, just more of a haunted house that uh, is yeah. to be feared and not just, you know, another scary house that you can kind of just get a mastery of right out the gate and run from everything. You can yeah, it, run in these things, but there's limitations, which gives it a good deal of strategy. Yeah, I mean, it is basically lined up to be all about survival. You know, it really does go for that angle above all, and it works. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and it's worth mentioning that there are two endings to this we're not going to go into the ending um but you know they even says it on the steam page uh, so i'm not spoiling that for anybody but for those that um were interested in sort of the world building of the night of the scissors i would say here there's a little bit more of that and i'm not going to mm-hmm. go into that but uh yeah it, again fleshing out of mechanics fleshing out of world building and fleshing out of the sort of cinematic side to this was uh, a treat and i think that Cannibal Abduction is something that everybody's going to want to check out when that comes out uh, later this month. Hmm. Absolutely. But in moving on from our joint pick of the month, Neil, why don't you kick us off with your first pick? So my first pick is What Would Satan Do by Lemon. That's L3MON on Itch.io. Um, so the premise of this game is Satan is on vacation and he's left an AI to take over his job because, of course, why wouldn't he do something so evil? <laughs> <laughs> um, so the idea is you then share your sin and see which circle of hell you go to and what your punishment would be, effectively. You know, very simple pro- premise. It's a prototype, as it is uh, right now. So you know, it's still a bit limited in places. It's um, got that very assy too sort of... Um, you know, a visual style you know, and like it, it, it's a fun little thing I think because um, you know, what you would probably class as what browser games used to be like you know, you know, mm-hmm. when, you, when, you know God rest their souls um, <laughs> <laughs> they were and it, yeah it's which did make me slightly like ooh, surprised it wasn't one of those ones that just ran straight out of it here like uh, we've had but um and, but yeah, it, it worked fine. And yeah, it's, you know, the, the options that come up, there's some funny sort of things. They're fairly, you know, in tune with whatever you write, you know, if you, um, and you can basically, you know, choose what you're writing to a degree. So it, it's, yeah, there's not a lot to say about it, I must say, because of that. But yeah, as a fun little distraction for a few minutes, it, it works perfectly well. 
Yeah, I would say if anybody wants a laugh uh, and has a dark sense of humor like you and I do, yeah. uh, this will definitely be entertaining for you know the five or ten minutes that you kind of mess around with it. Um, <laughs> and I just I love the idea of you know taking that idea of AI not stopping at you know writing term papers or making <laughs> artwork for people, but ruling in uh, Satan's uh, absence. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's a good one to start off. A nice small snack size thing. You know, the, um, so. On to you then. Yeah, so my first pick of the month is going to be Ratten Kun Ish, which is a rough translation to Rat King in English, mm -hmm. and that's from developer Organzola, and uh, great which name. is a great name. fantastic name. I basically picked it because of the name, but also <laughs> I know your love of uh, rats within the horror medium, mm. so uh, I figured this would be a good place to start. But in this game, you it is a 2D horror puzzle platformer in which the player controls two rats, one alive, one dead, and their tails are intertwined. And it's up to the alive half of the equation to traverse environments using the dead half as a counterweight to clear large gaps, as well as hitting buttons that are out of the alive rat's reach. Um, this was one that, you know, I just laughed at just the concept of it. And then actually seeing it play out, I was like, oh, this actually is a pretty good idea for a puzzle platformer hmm. um, and the way in which it starts very simplistic in that even I say simplistic to describe it, but trying to actually like figure out the mechanic perfectly took a few goes yeah. for me. Um, but basically you control the alive rat and you can make them leap, but then you have the ability to either coil in your tail, which, you know, pulls the dead rat closer to you or letting it kind of hang, which has a trail behind you. And the physics of the game, it's kind of like you try to almost boomerang yourself around corners sometimes yeah. to get to other ledges or to clear different bridges. And at one point, you'll come to an area where there's a button that's out of reach. But if you sort of like jump onto the ledge and then let the corpse swing underneath, you can hit the button, which then, you know, raises yeah. a platform or lowers a platform. Um, super morbid concept, but it's a concept that works really well in practice, I found. Um, it's not super long. There's probably three to four little sort of actual environmental puzzles. But what was really surprising to me was in the limited amount of time, the use of the stills in cutscenes mm. that kind of tell this narrative list story. Um, but it really is one that kind of captures, uh, you know, rat family and rat brotherhood uh, and whatnot in a way that uh, actually gives a little bit of heart to this which I thought was interesting. And it has a better production value than I was expecting. You know, there's some yeah. somber music in there for cutscenes that complement that artwork really well. And uh, yeah, it makes for a nice little, you know, 10 minute experience, if you will. Uh, how did you find this one? Yeah, as you say, it was inevitable that I, I would enjoy a game about rats. So yeah, I think, you know, I, we've seen these ideas done, you know, in a few things over the years in, in the indie space, you know, like platformers that are a bit, have some sort of gimmick to them so anything from like Bennett Foddy's getting up I think is, if I'm getting that name right and you know all the way to there's other stuff where you basically have a weirdly controlled characters trying to get over obstacles and this is a bit more refined than that you know it's um I would say it's closer to what Playdate would do you know in terms of like with that sort of idea um it does just feel like a section from a Playdate game in that regard uh, yeah and those cutscenes if you will you know these still images as they are really do just sort of tie it together nicely and do just give it this 
you know, darker moods and the daft concept, you know, would alone you'd think. But, you know, it, it's one of those delightfully darkly absurd things where you're like, you shouldn't think, find it funny, but you do. And that feels like it's on purpose rather than unintentional, you know, just they didn't hit the right tone. I think there is just a, there's a sadness and a lightness to it. You know, the lightness is there in, in terms of just how, what the fuck, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, think of Swiss Army, man, you know, in terms mm. of how, like, it's that, but not quite that. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> not quite that um, goofy. But yeah, it's a really smart little quickly put together thing in that regard that you have, yeah, the puzzles that work well, you know, using the physics quite well. Can't say I got frustrated with it, which is always a good sign. Yeah, I think it's um, it's a, a nice project, really nicely done. Any experience that is less than fifteen minutes and can you know convey actual emotions without having dialogue or real character interactions uh, and speaking and whatnot uh, mm. is something that I think I would like more of these types of games to do. Right, because it gives them that much more sort of. Um, emphasis behind what you're actually doing empowers the player a little bit more and whatnot but yeah i'm glad you enjoyed this one as much as i did but uh let's move on to your next pick for the month yeah my next pick is the dunkening by handsomeless king and yeah to describe this is good month for names yeah i mean yeah it makes more sense once you play the game as well which is uh, (laughs) um another sort of like vhs style horror but you know literally having the camera in your hand and it being sort of a surreal version of that, you know, where you are almost, you you can tell the humor is going to be goofy very early in this one. Like that, where the zoom is described in a really odd way. You sound, you basically seem to be like some sort of YouTuber or something going into this building, this abandoned building to investigate it. Um, You know, think of the film Dead Stream that came out recently in terms of like a similar sort of vibe. You know, there's a very goofy, um, bit early on where the guy chucks the camera over a fence instead of jumping you know because normally in a game when you have the camera thing they tend to just sort of go over like that and with the whole thing but yeah he chucks it first and then comes over afterwards and it's a nice little touch you know um so you get in this abandoned place and it i don't want to say too much because i think it, it just it goes delightfully silly uh, an oddball in some of the places it goes uh, the name may give it away but uh, <laughs> seeing as his store page doesn't, I'm not going to. But yeah, it really does just um, take that typical idea. You know, and something we saw Geordie Boy do a lot, you know, take you know, things we've seen before, make them very personal and silly. In the, you know, and by the seams of it, um, you know, very early effort for this developer as well. And, you know, they, they want to start making more realistic games, they say, but, you know, they make things hard, but. Yeah, great effort, I think, you know, for what it is. Uh, you know, they've already patched a little bit here and there to make it um, more enjoyable based on feedback. But yeah, it's really tough to get into this kind of game, you know, because there are so many of them right. on Itch.io and make it stand out. You know, and the name did one part of the job <laughs> and yeah, what was in the game kind of helped. You know, it's not massively substantial in terms of anything but you don't need that out of this so it's it's fun yeah not scary scary but it's fun you know which i think is 
weird in the way that you know you could class horror you know when we always say doesn't have to be scary to be horror this is like kind of like one that makes you go what the fuck this sort of thing yeah so in if you end up liking anything like i've liked in the past like tender doves and things like that it's kind of like that sort of vibe and you know, you know why you should know what i like by now <laughs> so yes yeah how did you feel on it yeah, you know, I'll be honest, going into another VHS found footage style game, I was kind of like, okay, played a lot of these. <laughs> but at the same time, it re- it kind of made me re-examine my approach to things because I think, as you mentioned, like this is one that is not necessarily groundbreaking, but I will say I would play something like this over a majority of them because mm. of the variety of scares that it has and also the tonal shift that is in there. And just the variety of experiences that are in here, because it does begin very similar to, you know, these the way that these types of games usually do. Mm-hmm. But early on, when you have that perspective change, and there's a couple other instances throughout the game that it plays with perspective in a way where it goes from the player holding the camera to the camera positioned towards the player in the background while the camera's in the foreground. Like little touches like that, I think, give this early on the feel that, oh, this is a little different than what you're probably expecting. Mm. And for me, it just kept building on that. You know, it didn't kind of overly rely on the types of jump scares these games are typically inundated with. Um, You know, there's a mechanic introduced in the back half that I don't necessarily think is great. But at the same time, each of the scares that are tied to a section of the place that you're investigating um, is at least different than the last. Um, It doesn't feel like it's kind of retracing its steps at all. And the ending, as you mentioned, is um, is gleefully <laughs> absurd in a way that, you know, is tonally very different than what the beginning half of the game feels like. But if anything, when you think about the entire experience, you're like, well, yeah, this could only have some type of weird ending that, um, yes, you know, absolutely. made me reflect even more fondly on it. Um, and yeah, just very appreciative of the fact that this also, you know, takes a little bit of the piss out of streamers, right? There's a little bit of that kind of streamer banter uh, that is running at the bottom of, well, the person's commenting on what they're doing. At the same time, though, again, it's uh, something that has more than one surprise up his sleeve. And it's not terribly long, which I appreciate also in terms of pacing out those, uh, you know, the scares, but also the unexpected twists and turns it takes. So, yeah, this was definitely uh, a standout, I think, from maybe some of the other VHS uh, games that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we will be chatting more of our picks for the month of January. And we are back from our break, and my next pick for the month was Those Who Crawl from Hush Finn Games. Uh, And in this one, the player finds himself in a series of caverns and must crawl and climb across the claustrophobic terrain while contending with that which calls the confines of the tunnels their home. Uh, Now, I picked this solely because of my love for The Descent, a film that we are both massive fans of. Oh, uh, yes. And, you know, a game that's able to put you into those claustrophobic confines and, you know, in the screenshots, you can see you're crawling along, you know, dirt and rocks, but then there's water sections that you have to crawl through. Um, and that kind of just immediately kind of gave me a little bo- <laughs> a little jolt of anxiety at the thought of having <laughs> to crawl through uh, water in these caverns and whatnot. So just from that standpoint, I was intrigued by this game. And then when I sat down to play it, I learned a little bit more about the gameplay mechanic, which is you use the left and right mouse button, which correlate to your left or right hand. And you need to essentially, when you're crawling, you can just, you know, use both buttons at the same time to pull yourself. But then when you get to the climbing sections, you have to basically 
have one hand that's holding the other hand reaches and then hold with the hand that was reaching and vice yeah. versa while you you know climb these ever uh, steep peaks of this cavern that seemingly never ends and i uh, i like the mechanic on paper right i think that that's a mechanic that definitely could have a little bit more maybe mileage out of it in VR, which apparently I looked up the dev is going to make a VR version of this. So just the idea of, you know, having to worry about your limb placement while, you know, trying to actually look around and find places that you can climb to. That's a concept that I like the idea of on paper. Here, though, there were too many instances I found where I was reaching for a section that wouldn't register. And then Mm. I was kind of just like scanning and looking and just trying to click everything. So there's a little bit of difficulty when it came to climbing for me. Um, but I will say that, you know, the sense of the walls kind of just closing in on you and just trying to traverse this very dimly lit environment and whatnot was creepy. It was tense. And then in the back half of the experience, um, there is something in the caves with you naturally as uh, these things tend to go, which we don't have to really spoil. But I just felt like it felt more like a tech demo in a way that had little rough edges to it that kind of stopped yeah. me from being like, oh, this is a must recommend for me. Um, also for the, le- it's not that long. It's like a 15 minute game, I think, or 20 minutes. Um, I could have used a little bit more of the sort of internal narration that mm-hmm. comes up in the back half just to kind of keep me more invested or pushing me forwards a little bit more. Um, but I think conceptually, this is interesting. Uh, it's just maybe a little rougher than I was hoping for. Um, how did you find those who crawl? Yeah, so the things that reminded me of instantly, well, not instantly, but yeah, as I went through it, were, you know, the mechanics of it instantly called to mind Death Stranding's, you know, you know movement mechanics in terms of like, you know, hold, you know, controlling individual limbs to make sure you do, you know, get over the right terrain and stuff like that. A simplified version of it, but still interesting. And then that kind of mixed with like the cave sections of the forest, you know, where you, you the, the last place you really want to be underprepared and under under equipped. And I suppose my initial go through it was I found it quite fascinating that it was doing this and, and really making you live through that whole idea of struggling to get through this cave system and the mouse, you know, the, way, the use of the mouse for that actually felt really good and worked as a control system. I imagine, you know, with a controller, shoulder buttons would achieve the same sort of goal, but it still works really well, you know, with a mouse and feels intuitive in that regard. Um, I suppose my first complaint there would be that that bit goes on a bit too long. Yeah. yeah? There's a bit too much of the climbing stuff without anything really happening. And as you say, there, there are moments where it doesn't quite connect right and... But you know, I, I get it. You know, it's um, you know, it's you know, free, free, you know, free to play on Steam. So I, I can see why they were saying, you know, this is an idea I've got. It does enough, I think. You know, when I, when I think of it like that, and it is free, and the concept of it is really interesting, and even though it may not be the best pacing in terms of what it is, I think I was really impressed with, with what it had, you know, as a basic idea. But yeah, I, I can't argue with what you're saying about it being, you know, kind of having a prototype vibe in that regard, because, you know, th- there are things that could be added and could be tweaked. And 
that's fine because you can learn from that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, I was, uh, I think by the looks of it, it's their first game. Yeah. So, you know, if that's the case, then uh, yeah, I can definitely say benefit the doubt there and say, yeah, it's a good solid case of, you know, ambition over trying to, you know, be technically refined, you know. So I think that's, yeah, I was a fan of this one. Yeah, I'll say I really like the finale of the game. I think that mm. that back half is rewarding in a way that kind of, as you mentioned, you know, that first half is bogged down by that basically a tutorial section of teaching mechanics mm-hmm. and whatnot. That section goes on too long, I think. But again, it is a 20 minute or less experience. So if you do check this out, people should definitely, I think, power through that beginning section, even if maybe they get to the point where they're like, okay what's this building to what's coming next it does have a great payoff it's just that getting there takes a little uh a little more time perhaps than it should yeah. but as you said it's their first game and as always you know there's uh tweaks and rooms for improvement for everything yeah absolutely so yeah it's a an interesting one which you know to see a bit of ambition in this space is nice you know it's like we were just saying about how it's cool to see developers refine those established ideas and stuff like that this really did just feel like someone making something they thought of rather than you know with obviously you know, nothing's free of influence we know that but this felt less shackled by influences you know than most things so that that was a key thing for me on that all right well let's dive into your final pick for the month which is a more near you yeah it's um which is by Diesel Rave Studios. And again, it seems to be the first game, but I think it was made in collaboration with a bunch of people. So, but, uh, yeah, this is set and more. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, obvious from the title. And the idea, it ended up being a bit more, um, seasonal than I expected it to be, but that's fine. It still works outside of that. Um, the idea is your family's forgotten to stock up on gifts for the holidays and you, a child, have to return some stuff to the mall in the various shops and to get some new presents. And it, you know, that in, as a premise is very simple, but of course it doesn't go as simple as that. And it gets a bit weird and there are weird people about and the things you can find are weird. One of the final gifts you can find <laughs> is, um, you know, a very um, handsome chap's cardboard cutout. You know, and that was like, you, you've, you've sold me there if, if that was the only thing. <laughs> so, but yeah, so, yeah, this, the thing about this mall is that it's one of those that kind of represents how those kind of things are now, you know, where many of the shops are gutted, there's nothing in them, and what's left is very much desolate and, you know, not really having much to do with it. Outside, you know, there's main shops that you get everywhere. So, yeah, you know, I was only walking around a small one, you know, a little shopping arcade today and looking at, like, all the places that weren't and were open and what was left and what had replaced the old shops and thinking, yeah, it, it does become kind of haunting in its own weird way how, you know, the ghosts of your memories of a place like that are, you know, hidden away in what it has become. So... Yeah, it gave me a sort of bit of fresh perspective again on this. And, you know, we don't really have many you know, shopping centres is, is over here that are like American malls in terms of size. Mm. You know, whenever I 
think when I went to Toronto, it's all it's like fairly big, and so even I was like, "Wow, this is huge compared to what we get." But yeah, it's yeah, I like that aspect of it. I think it's it goes a little weird. It has that um, you know three D environment with like flat two D characters that sort of turn in that sort of painting way of like whatever you look, they're looking at you sort of way. And I like that combination a lot as games go. So yeah, it's weird. It has a sort of supernatural element in itself, in just in terms of the place it's in, and doesn't go down the obvious route with it, which I was very impressed with because that would have been the easiest thing to do. It kind of makes it like what would be scary for a child going into this situation, rather than oh well, you know, there's going to be a serial killer here or something, blah blah blah, and that that be that. It's yeah, I, I really liked it for that, and I was quite. Yeah, you know, impressed with how it looked, and you know the the vibe of it is just again silly, weird, worked. Yeah, you know the true horror of it all really is just like seeing what online shopping has uh, <laughs> how it's online shopping has like decimated brick and mortar malls and stores. And I thought it was funny that the only stores that are open is such an accurate representation of what a lot of malls on their last leg are, which is you know there's a DVD store that is about half full. There's like a Hot Topic store that has nothing but, yeah. you know, Funko Pops in it. And oh. then there's like a pretzel shop or a one fast food place uh, in it. Or there's a furniture store that's like barely got any inventory. Um, <laughs> and I think that what I appreciate about this game was it kind of sent me down memory lane of like, oh, in my adolescence, you know, getting dropped off at the mall with friends and wandering around for a couple hours and everything was, you know, flourishing and there's shops yeah. and people everywhere. And then within the last, you know, I don't know, it, 10 years of adulthood, you know, have to go into a store for whatever reason and show up and like three fourths of them are closed. Uh, and it's only the ones left over that, you know, nobody ever goes in seemingly. You wonder how they make rent, how they're still open even. <laughs> um, and I think also with this game, there's a good sense of humor behind it too, right? Um, I think every character that you interact with, they have something funny or quirky to say. Um, you know, at the end of the day, what are you there to buy? A box of Tony macaroni for your dad for Christmas that has Tony Soprano's face on it. Um, or, you know, you can get cardboard cutouts of multiple things in this that, you know, I'll save one for a, a surprise for anybody that checks it out. But yeah, yeah, this was one that, you know, it's more about the sense of nostalgia that this environment can create. There's a good amount of dialogue that's entertaining. Uh, it's not terribly concerned with, you know, being creepy or horror uh, in the yeah. traditional sense that people might think of a game where you're wandering around a mall, right? Um, but I think that overall it's enjoyable. And this is something that, you know, if we had gotten to it in December, it's like, oh, yeah, like this is a nice festive sort of exploration yeah. of something that uh, kind of – feels like a home-cooked meal in a way, if you will, in terms of the memories maybe it stirs up. Um, and yeah, you know, I think there's room to uh, appreciate titles such as this that don't go out of their way to just, you know, scare people to death or something in that period of time. And uh, sometimes yeah. just crafting a sense of atmosphere that the player can freely explore uh, deserves applause when pulled off well. And I think this is an example of that. Yeah, absolutely. I just think the choice of gifts that you can get <laughs> Yeah. really do just sort of reflect this thing that's stuck in the past, you know, in the best way. You know, it really does just feel like you are sort of dragging up the past in what, what is left. It's like nothing is left of that is new because new doesn't exist anymore. It's just whatever you can find as dregs of yesterday. I just found that to be perfect for what it was, which is why, you know, it works beyond that, you know, the festive season because mm -hmm. it 
kind of reminds you of the aftermath now where what used to be the busy time you know, of like, oh, there are sales everywhere, there are sales everywhere. It doesn't really matter anymore because so many <laughs> right. places, because, you know, you go around places and you can get stuff online. And in most cases, that's what you'll get told. Hmm. And as you say, the stores that are left, the ones that are just flogging whatever stock left, someone else left, you know, and <laughs> effectively selling the ghost of the shop before or whatever. And which, you know, I see quite often, you know, these days. So you do just see these pop up corner shops like they only sell a few things mm. and it's like well you're not going to be here long so what was the angle here <laughs> just right. to, yeah just to sell what you had and just get rid of it and yeah there's an aspect of that here so it feels like a celebration of the malls and a longing for it at the same time and uh yeah i it's naturally i'm very fond of uh, the mall buildings thanks to george romero so <laughs> it's um nice to see it represented in this way yeah it's like it's the yin to the yang of like puppet combos you know mortal attempts so sure i think yeah it's a nice sort of different take on it yeah hmm. sorry small slip there <laughs> um so we go on to your final pick my final pick is going to be Concrete Tremor from developer Mike Klubnicka, who last year we chatted about one of his titles with uh, Chris White, who came on the show, and that would be the other side. So this is the most recent effort from that developer. Uh, you know, I didn't even look, and you said it, and I was like, oh my God, it is, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, how I feel about it. That explains a lot, honestly. But yeah, so <laughs> go on. Sorry. But uh, Concrete Tremor player assumes the role of a mysterious figure playing Battleship with an opposing player, though in uh, Klubnicka's twisted dystopian world, the ships have been replaced with towering apartment blocks filled with people who are unable to leave. The first player to destroy 25 buildings wins. And this was a game that right from the jump, I was impressed with the number of perspectives in the storytelling and in the world building that are presented here, right? I think mm. when we were talked about the other side, that was a game that was very restricted in terms of its environment. And granted, it was by design, right? Because it's all about the mechanics of interacting yeah. with that drill. And to see Mike move on to another project that is in this kind of weird dystopian world, but giving us more of a perspective of multiple characters' point of views to establish the world without necessarily having to explain everything outright, right? It's more about the vibes that he's able to create about the world and those things that really kind of inform the player all they need to know about it. Because you start with the perspective from in one of the apartment blocks and then the way it builds in terms of perspective to show the outside world, but also the stakes of what is happening, um, mm. I thought was really, really impressive. And it's something that adds a narrative to an experience that very easily couldn't or wouldn't have had a lot of the time, right? Because there's this battleship aspect where in the second half of the game, once you get through that brief bit of world building, you are playing battleship, right? You look at a board and you're trying to line up the dots to essentially set off C4 yeah. that is attached to buildings in the other block in the enemy's uh, little camp. And so it's back and forth between those five guesses. And then if you hit the board updates and so forth, just like a normal game of battleship. But in providing context to the world and sort of the stakes of it, it really does give the game this really uncomfortable sort of dark humor to everything that's happening and that you realize like, oh, a hit. Well, normally you don't really think about that when you play Battleship. But when you're playing this and you actually see in front of you the results because you have this mm. 
I don't know if you're actually looking at a city or if it's supposed to just be a recreation of it. But if the enemy hits your buildings, then they quite literally crumble in front of you. Um, and the game itself has this really great uh, art style or visual style, which is kind of this monochrome, black and white, very brutalist architecture for everything. Yes. Um, that kind of just furthermore fuels that very uh, like Soviet block era of just like, you can tell that people are suffering, even if you're not seeing them suffer in front of you. You can tell that this is a very like oppressive atmosphere, which yeah. gives it a little more uh, a little more texture to the world, I think, which is what that needs because you know it is uncomfortable, uh, just kind of like coexisting in that world and getting to see how your actions are directly impacting people, uh, impacting people and whatnot. And mm. um, you know, there's one aspect to the game that I didn't mention, uh, which is if you miss a turn like if you miss all five of your guesses on hitting a building then the other person gets a phone call to one of the apartment blocks which basically is like giving up one free hit and you know the game's incorporating a narrative and actually having a dialogue that occurs between that kind of just like is one of the most fucked up things uh yeah. that i experienced so far this month in terms of like little storytelling or microcosm stories that unfold in games uh, and, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand with this very dark sense of humor that this game has that um, I think goes a long way in allowing this to be more than just like, oh, it's, uh, you know, black and white battleship, which if it just had that board uh, aspect to it, you'd be like, okay, but having a look inside the building, the exterior of the building and getting a sense of like the relations between people, it just adds so much more emphasis to what you're doing. Um, and it fleshes out the world very nicely. It also has a really great score, I thought, um, yeah. who is from composer Jabu, Jabu um, which I'm sure Mike has worked with previously because it sounds very similar to what was in um, The Other Side. But mm. anyways, how did you find Concrete Tremor? Yeah, again, like with previous games, this is why I said it straight away, you know, now I get why, is it just felt like a snapshot into a world where you're not getting everything on the table about why and how you just you're in it you know, for that time that you're in it and that's it and nothing more will be explained nothing less will be explained you are just following a bunch of actions like you know you're basically jumping into the body of someone in the middle of their own story and then jumping back out at the end at a certain point um you know it's that adage of like you know, you know you're never really yeah, when the story is ended, the story never really ends in in terms of life. You know, with like a sweet fitting finale, it ends mid paragraph, and that's it. And that's basically you know how these stories feel. They feel like they just end mid paragraph, even if they do have some sort of finality to it. And yeah, it's just the you know Liam Neeson and Rihanna wish they could have been in this version of Battleship. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, because you know it is a far smarter idea you know, to take the idea of battleship and make it this dystopian thing you know that where you are basically taking lives in a game of for why the why do you do it what what's the reason for it beyond earning your survival and that just feels cruel and horrible and it's just remarkable that it's put together like that and yeah it's just ridiculously impressive yeah and 
I don't know why I didn't bother to check the name. You know, I was like, <laughs> played it, yeah, which I suppose is you know, credit to Mike. So, you know, I, I can play this, feel the vibe of him, but it feels very different where I, I don't immediately go, oh, it's one of their games, you know, sort of thing. You know, and, you know, I said this before when we, um, when we played the other side and I said to the, you know, oh, I'd played one of his games before. And it's like, um, and I realized it. It's like, it's each time you realize, oh, yes, you know, they have a vibe, but they are distinctly his vibes, mm. you know, and yeah, it just, he continues to be a really impressive developer. Um, taking, as you say, an idea as simple as Battleship and giving it a narrative and a nice spin, you know, that it feels, yeah, it's just, it's hard to explain. I suppose it's like when you think of horror podcasting, like in audio drama form, and you can tell these little small stories are self-contained that don't necessarily have to have all the surrounding things around them to um, help. I mean, no, no, creepy is clearly the biggest example of that. You, you can tell these like, self-contained stories of the internet. And this really does just feel like the, the dilution of that, the, the finest point where here it is. This is how you do it. This is, sorry, distillation, not dilution. That would be the wrong way around. But yes, it, it really does just feel like that, you know, that concept distilled to its core. And it's just remarkable. It is ever impressive. To get as much as he does out of such a short run time is, yeah, phenomenal. You know, and, and you know, I find I say this about the games that I love the most when we do this is that it'll always be those games where you go, wow, this, this has made the most of every damn second of its very short run time. And yeah, it does. Yeah. And, you know, further evidence, I need to go back and play the rest of uh, his games that are on his Itch.io page. Because um, I didn't realize, like, I didn't pick this just because I was scanning through his um, catalog or whatever. It was like I got probably five minutes into it and I was like, this has a very similar vibe to the other side. And then when I went back, I was just like, oh, which I think is the best compliment you can give a developer, right? Is that the game that they made is reminiscent of more about the vibe of what they've done with other games rather than a continuation of like mechanics or, you know, narrative or whatever. Um, but with something like this, you know, that real brutalist, in, you know, in the other side, it was uh, a little more post-apocalyptic perhaps, but at the same time, it has that dystopian feel to everything. We're not being told the full story. And I think even here with Concrete Tremor, right, you get snippets of information, but again, you're still not getting the full story. But even if you don't get those answers necessarily, it doesn't matter because the, you're given just enough that it really does influence your, you know, uh, engaging with what's going on in a way that feels more significant than just saying like, oh, yeah, it's black and white battleship uh, with buildings instead of boats. Like just that little bit of buildup narratively to the actual gameplay portion does so much for this experience, I find. And uh, yeah, you know, I think that's far more effective and impressive, right? Playing around with perspective rather than just having a wall of text or an audio log or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's been a big theme this month, I think, in terms yeah. of devs that are playing around with multiple perspectives, whether it's characters or just the way in which you get to explore the world itself. Yeah. And you know, just to clarify, this was made in like a week, which is, again, just further floors me. Yeah, that's like <laughs> outsourcing the music, obviously to Javi is one thing, but still, yeah, great stuff. I mean, he pointed out recently himself that, you know, he'd made 
12 short games in like the past year. And it, you know, thanks for supporting that. But anyway, yeah, even between this and you know, doing the other side, he could release the game. So yeah, just, and that was in September. So he's been prolific. And I think it's because, you know, he, he really does just sort of go for the experimental over anything else and go to an idea and see how it goes. And generally it seems to work really well. So, um, yeah, more please. You know, keep yeah. going. <laughs> so. Oh, man. Well, I think uh, once again, we've proved that uh, we found a good mix of uh, variety, I think, of games, right? It was nice to kind of get to share a joint pick for once. Yeah. Uh, we get to, you know, talk a little bit more in depth about uh, cannibal abduction and whatnot. But at the same time, you know, the ones that we picked, I found overall, you know, it plays to, you know, qualities of other horror bites that we've appreciated in the past. But really, each of them did something different, I think, in a way that didn't make them feel sort of overly redundant, if you will. Uh, I keep coming back to like the Dunkening, which I think, again, like at the beginning of it, I was like, okay, I got another VHS found footage. I kind of know I'm familiar with the beats that those go along. But having a lot of surprises in store in that back half uh, was a really, really welcome surprise. But then Mm -hmm. with something like Concrete Tremor, right? It's something from a dev that we're a fan of, but they had more ways than one to surprise us and further, you know, pushing their world building abilities, but also, you know, a little more narrative there, but not too much narrative because, you know, it's this delicate balance with that short amount of time, a little too much of anything can, you know, outstay its welcome, which might only be 15 minutes or something. So another quality month, I think, and a uh, fantastic way to kickstart the year. Yes. Yeah. It's um, sort of clears the cobwebs a bit to just have a bunch (laughs) of small things to play, you know, uh, alongside everything else and um, just remind us why, you know, that because, you know, we haven't done Horror Bites new stuff for, since November. So this is like a little homecoming, you know, to start the year. And, and yeah, here's to another season of, of Horror Bites. Yep. Definitely look forward to seeing what the rest of the year has in store indie wise but at the same time you know we'll be covering some big anniversaries coming down the line as well as some new releases and uh, we have quite a few of those to cover as well throughout the course of the year it's going to be a big year for horror and you know i feel we say that every year but you know it keeps being true and uh you know i very much look forward to tackling the rest of the year with you yes absolutely yeah and it's not even all about the good games yeah (laughs) some notorious ones have anniversaries and we really want to go for them too so we will uh, have a nice and varied bunch and there'll be some big hitters. There'll be some small stuff. There'll be some good stuff. And you know, I look, we look at March and mm. uh, coming up. And I, even now I just remember something else in March. And uh, yeah, it, it's just crazy. It's just going to be a crazy start to the year. <laughs> as you all well know as horror fans and horror game fans, you know, alongside the, the big remakes and stuff, that there is just going to be so many good things. And yeah. Horror looks like it's in a healthy place again this year. So let's see yeah. <laughs> what we get. Well, I look forward to tackling uh, what the year has to offer with you and more. But as always, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. And you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can also join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. You can also drop us an email over at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.